I'm Helen Marshall, and this is the Diary of a CLO. I hope no one's listening, but if you are, definitely share it. In this episode, I'm joined by Tobias Balling, co-founder of Blinkist, a learning app that provides you with short, bite-sized explainers of a range of books. We dig into some of the lessons learned as a co-founder, how success often stems from failure, and what good learning might look like for people. Enjoy. Toby, hi, and welcome to Diary of a CLO. I'm so pleased that you could join me. How are you doing? Hi, Helen. Thank you for having me. Doing well. Just coming from a CLO conference, so I'm a little bit jet-lagged, but I'm very happy to be here today. Good stuff. Well, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. So I think a lot of people will know you as the co-founder of Blinkist, but it would be really good to hear a bit of your backstory and your journey to what, I guess, what drew you to co-founding Blinkist ultimately. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, So I'm Toby, uh, 36 years old. I currently sit in Berlin. That's where our headquarters are. Co-founded Blinkist together with three other Meanwhile, 11 years ago, wow, such a long time. On the founding thing, I always tried to, when I went through university, always try to observe my surroundings and think about problems that exist in the world, think about if I could solve them and if many other people would have them. First time I did that was when I mostly would not go into university lectures and then try to learn myself. That worked quite well for most part, but then sometimes would have been good to hear what the professor said. So I was like, why is that not recorded? Uh, why can't I listen or see that from home? And um, that was 2007. And so we founded a company we called the Podcast University to try to solve for the fact that I wanted to watch or listen to uh, lectures at home. Well, it didn't work for multiple reasons, but then at some, you know, like you kind of like, I kind of got the law for f- just thinking about problems in the world. And at some point, my co-founders of Blinkist and I, we were like, there's so many great books out there, so many great knowledge out there, so many things that we were curious about, but no time to read or consume it. And then we thought, hey, is there a way to solve that? First, then you start wondering, can we change the format? Um, what would we need to change it to? Okay, I as an individual, I don't have time, but do I maybe still have time? Is there like time spends in the day in which I can consume content? Is it, for example, for us now in the gym, when you commute to work, when you have a coffee, when you're waiting for the bus, when you're in the airport, when you're in a train, when you're in the car? So there's lots of times during the day and we said, hey, let's just look at that problem that people would probably like to learn, listen, read more, and how can we fit it into people's lives? And so we solved that. 11 years later, I'm sitting here with roughly 26 million users worldwide. And so I think we found something that was a problem or is a problem for a lot of people on the planet. And um, we tried to provide the best solution for that. It's really interesting. So is Podcast University, was that kind of the first iteration of Blinkist or were they completely separate? Or what did you learn from that and the fact that it didn't maybe take off and led, that led you towards something a, a bit more all-encompassing in terms of the types of information that were, were being created? Yeah, I think, well, in hindsight, uh, almost a little bit romantic. I would want to think it, you know, it all kind of led from one thing to another very logically, but probably from back then's perspective, no, there's like no big connection to it except for that love of identifying a problem and then trying to solve it. Yes, uh, you you see a pattern that I was interested in learning and getting better and being very curious. I think that is something, a personal trait about myself, but no, I had nothing really to do with each other. Nevertheless, I think, especially for everybody listening, 
listening who wants to start their own products or like their own company and solution for something. Yes, I think that there's lots of learnings that it got from one idea to another. I think especially in the very early days when you tried it the very first time, the only thing that is for sure is that you know almost nothing and uh, you will make a ton of mistakes. And so uh, you operate on... Uh, yeah, hide fast iterations because you'll make mistakes anyway. You'll try something out, throw what you call in startup life, I think, throw a spaghetti at the wall, see if it sticks. And if it doesn't, you iterate. And so with Podcast University, we've built a product. I think there was a problem out there and uh, we found a solution to it, but we have not verified demand. We haven't verified uh, how could we market it. We wouldn't have verified, did a professor even want to put content on the platform? And we have not asked any of those questions. We were like tech students and we just built a tech product and we learned a lot about that, but we have just left out all the other things. And then when that fails, you start wondering, okay, why did it fail? I've, I mean, I've built a cool product, ah, but nobody wanted to put content on there. Nobody found it. There was no marketing plan, no go-to-market, none of that. And so you're like, okay, next time I'll try to do that better. And then you morph from one idea to another. And at some point it eventually works, but then it's also, yeah, as they say, lots of luck. Um, and so at some point it just works. And then, yeah, you have a lot of learnings from the past, but. Yeah, it's definitely something I hear from speaking to numerous founders or co-founders, that idea of iteration and the concept that failure is almost as important as success in guiding you towards the success. And without that failure, you can't then fully appreciate how you're heading towards success. You've mentioned curiosity there a few times, and I think that's really important from, sounds like from your own personal perspective and you as an individual being curious, but I suppose that also feeds into the people ultimately who are using Blinkist as well and being curious in terms of the type of knowledge that they then have access to themselves. Why do you think curiosity is so important? From a consumer or learner perspective, I think that in today's world, escalating year by year. There's more and more content out there. The world is changing faster than ever, at least from my perspective, on a workplace. Uh, suddenly everybody went in COVID times, went from on-site to remote teams, um, learning change. Now there is AI coming into the play and you know the workplace is changing nonstop. And I think the demand for people in companies, but also privately to learn and stay up to date and improve themselves uh, gets just bigger and bigger. And so I think that uh, people that want to achieve something in their job, they have that natural tendency of learning and improving. Let it be an individual contributor that goes from being a programmer to being an engineering manager. And originally you were good in programming and you can make nice software, but suddenly you have to work with people. You have to give them feedback. You have to lead them remotely. There will, people from diff there will be people from different cultures and countries and backgrounds, and you have to see how that all fits together. You'll have to tell somebody maybe if something doesn't work out, you'll have to have hard, crucial conversations. And suddenly you're confronted with all of those topics and challenges and you don't know how to approach it. And then you ideally um, have a tendency to learn about it and try to, to get better at that. And I think then we mixed in that problem where people don't have time to do it and people want to do it, but people are like, yeah, I've, I've bought all that books, but I never found the time to read them. When you match that necessity for learning together with the lack of time, and then you provide a solution to people get, get an easy access to it. This is when really start scaling. Mm. For the benefit of the listeners, can you dig into a little bit? I know you mentioned this just briefly, but why did you decide to create content that is, I suppose, in that bite-sized audio text-based content. So you've touched on time and, and that element of curiosity there, but is there anything else playing into that picture? Oh, yeah. So I probably went a little bit ahead of myself. So at Blinkist, we think people uh, want to learn more, want to listen more, have no time. So we read books, we listen to podcasts, we work together with authors and podcast hosts, 
hosts and we condense the knowledge from non-fiction books and podcasts into 15 minutes reads and listens to fit the day of a busy person. And so now imagine you wake up tomorrow uh, or your Monday, you wake up, you want to go to work, you go into the car and you have 30 minutes commute. Now, when you're in the car, what do you turn on? What will cover the ear space? Are you turning on a podcast? Are you turning on an audiobook? Are you turning on the radio? Are you turning on Blinkist? And Blinkist is designed so that when you're going into the car and you commute to work, that you can get the condensed knowledge of a complete book in just 15 minutes. And that way, we try to uh, encourage people to develop a daily learning habit and routine. Do you think there's any... So I use Blinkist and I find that it's at the, at the moments where I find I've got... 15 minutes in the day and I can I know that I can just use it to really quickly listen or absorb information from a book which is brilliant but my concern with the I suppose the level of information that I get in these moments not just from Blinkist but whenever I'm doing something I suppose more of a at a high level where does the depth of knowledge come from if we're creating something that is supposedly condensing something into to micro lessons or content or learning whatever you want to call it and how do I then kind of move on to find something in more depth? Is that something that you've thought about or you're concerned with? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question. I think that it's probably on a scale from no learning on a certain topic at all because you don't have time. And then on the other side of the extreme is probably reading multiple books, doing online courses, having a coach, um, having other people to talk to something about. And then there's a space in between. And I think that going from no learning on a field to very, very deep learning and very big expertise, we try to help people to get easy access to the high-level ideas. Mm. So imagine you, um, again, uh, transition from an individual contributor into a leader role. Suddenly, you have to give people feedback, you have to manage the team and so on. And then you can now buy 20 books on the topic and read through all of them, but it will take you a long time. Some books you might not find relevant, some books you might find relevant. So you can use Blinkist as a tool where you are the step in between. You read three books and blinks on leadership, three on uh, nonviolent communication, three on time management, and then you have a big width of knowledge and content. And then the one that you like the most, where you think, okay, here I want to dig deep, here is where I really find it interesting. Then you buy the full book and you go all in and spend more time. And I think it is transition from nothing into a little bit, getting an overview, find what's interesting, and then focus and go deeper. And I think mm. you need to have all of it. Otherwise, we've had a product that we founded, like that we launched, I think more or less eight years ago within Blinkist. We called it page 19 because we found studies that most people wouldn't get beyond page 18 of a nonfiction book. That's because you buy it, you take it, you unpack it, you open it, you read the first couple of pages, then you either find it boring or life gets in the way and you just put it into the shelf and you never get further. And so I think that is the space where we try to enter and say, look, instead of just putting it back to the shelf, you might want to get the overview of Blinkist and if you love it, then you go all in. Mm, I like that concept of page 19. It's funny that that kind of didn't sound like it took off because it's, uh, and now I'm also going to go to my bookshelf, which I I know I'm guilty of this, where I pick up a book, start reading it, and then put it back down again, mainly because life gets in the way. But I'm going to think next time I do that, whether it's about page 18 that I actually give up on a particular book. You previously mentioned when you created Blinkist, and this is going to dig into that kind of founder mentality, that you founded Blinkist with three other people. How difficult was that? I've read and heard stories about really trying to focus in on keeping the amount of founders in a business to the min a minimum as possible due to yep. the complexity of relationships that you have to maintain. How has that been for you? <laughs> a roller coaster journey, I would call it. A, I guess the advice is I would never try it alone 
but as you said, with as little people as possible, because the more you are, the easier it is to have such different opinions on certain things that you get into a conflict. But then being all alone is also, I, I would imagine, like super tough. COVID hits the world. Suddenly everything is upside down. And if you don't have anybody to reflect with and, you know, to talk, to, to call in the evening and say, are you also worried? What are we doing? Uh, I think without that at all is very complicated. So probably the sweet spot of founders is between two, three, four, something like that. We were four. Now we're too active. And uh, how would I describe it? I think it is probably as time intense as a, as a marriage. Like you spend a lot of time together, maybe even more. And there is normally very high stakes and a lot of pressure from the outside. I mean, Blinkist right now has, I don't know, give or take 180 people. And then uh, those people rely on you. They have their jobs. They need to earn their money. They have their bills to pay. Also, we are following a vision. We have our customers, our users we want to serve. And so there's high pressure on like making decisions and the world is changing. And so together with the co-founder, you go through those times in which everything is like running wild and it's going very well. But you'll also go through times when the world is upside down and you you probably have a lot of tension and conflict and fights. And, and I think the, the magic is when you can do all of that together, when you have a good conflict culture, but also a good culture of like riding the wave and, and having successes and something that I find super rare. And in hindsight, the way we found it, I would have never given like... I, I did not know my co-founders before we founded and we just did it. And I think that's something that I would not advise to do. It now worked out. I'm still here 11 years later, but I think that's more luck than, than anything else because of that high intensity uh, between co-founders. How did that happen then? Did you just kind of look for people who were in a similar space or how did that group end up coming together? Yeah, so how it happened back then versus how it would probably happen today, I think it's two different stories because at least my perspective is that today's many more people try to make startups, try to found something, try to find co-founders. Back then, I think, at least from my perspective where I studied, I studied somewhere in like the central uh, Germany. Not, not so many people would try to found their own companies. People would try to rather go into like a consultancy or that kind of a job. And so... If you were doing that, people around you would normally know and recognize, and then there were not so many that would also try. And so you kind of like search for people that have the same weird hobby as you do, you know, which is not uh, either working at a bigger company or like trying to to uh, earn money at a job, but trying to found a company. Um, and, and then you run into others that are like-minded. Mm. And then we as a founding team, we were full stack. I originally was a tech guy, the CTO of the company, built a tech product. Then Holger, my co-founder, who is still active, CEO, did all the marketing. Then we had a co-founder who did the content and crunched the books. And then one co-founder who did product and design. And so that way we were a full stack founding team, which I think really helps especially in times when you don't have enough capital to just hire many people on a lot of functions. If you know, you're short of money and you just can't cover for yourself, I think that really, really helps. On the other hand, then as you go through uh, building the, the different stages of a startup, first you try to identify the problem. Can we build a solution to it? Will there be people that like the solution to a later stage where you scale it, where you have 180 people, where it's a lot about culture, how to lead teams. And I think as you go through that different phases, at some point, what might have been a fit earlier doesn't fit later anymore because of 
you know, like over a decade of time, life changes for for a lot of people. And so you might realize that the original constellation is not the best for on the long run. And then as a founding team, you will always try to do the best for the organization and the company, and then sometimes have to make that hard decision to go uh, separate ways as well. Mm. You mentioned that you're now around 180 people at Blinkist. How's that journey of growth from a people perspective been for you? <laughs> well, I think... We had always that luxury of producing revenue and cash flow very early on. And we would always have a very healthy, say, profit and loss statement in the company. And so over the years, especially when COVID hit and the world got a little bit more difficult, we decided to operate the company roughly break even. So finance our own operations. And then that led to the fact that we were never really scaling crazily fast from zero people to a hundred in just a few months and then to 200, 300,000, which I guess creates a lot of chaos and it's hard to handle. I look at it like, okay, we are 11 years old and we are only air quotes, 180 people. And that allows like there's much slower growth than some of the other startups that, that I saw around me. And that helps by focusing on the people, by introducing the, the values, the processes, the do's and don'ts and how you operate the company. And I think that really helped Blinkist to be a very healthy people-centric organization where it's fun to work in. Um, we are an ambitious team. We are all try to focus on performance, but we also are a great place for people to work in. And I think, mm. yeah, that was not intentional, but comparably slower growth from zero to 180 in 11 years helped us to, to have a very good organization versus if you try to do this in six months, that's normally much more wild. Yeah, I can imagine. You mentioned previously around Blinkist being, I guess, the B2B, B2C kind of space. So what can you just expand on that a little bit more for me? Yeah, so going back to the what I said at the very beginning, founded Blinkist because we tried to solve problems that we saw ourselves. And so the original problem is a consumer problem. I buy books. I don't read them. I would love to know what's in there. I build a solution for myself. That is the B2C play. Then we put it, then we thought, okay, where, where's the use case? Where do I have time? Ah, it's when I'm outside, when, it's, when I'm going for a run, it's when I'm in the gym. So I probably want to have it on the phone. So then when I'm in the gym, what is happening there is my eyes are busy because I'm in the gym, but my ears are free. So that's how we went from how can we solve it, uh, condensing it to audio. But then when you go to the gym and you put your AirPods in, then you have to make the decision. Do I listen to music now? Do I listen to podcasts or do I listen to Blinkist? And that is why you will find that our content is very engaging. It is normally fun to listen to or like it, there is, it plays with emotions and tries to you, you know, get you into the scene. It's not just a dry, boring, uh, read out text because the consumer will then just, you know, fade out or do something else or go to Spotify next time. And, and so you really have to, when you look, when you look at the consumer to have to provide something very appealing and engaging. Then by the nature of the product, I think um, what we have measured in um, product onboarding uh, surveys is that roughly half of the people that buy Blinkist privately use it for their professional lives. They use it to get better at their jobs, to become better presenters, leaders, to do better marketing, to do better time management, stuff like that. And so people buy Blinkist privately, but use it professionally. That led to demand from companies that we would normally say we, we don't serve because we focused heavily on the consumer. But then over the course of a decade, at some point we took the opportunity, we started building out a product for companies. And then when you talk to companies and you talk to L&D people, one of the learnings is companies would always search for how do I find a product that people engage with? Because I guess the worst that you can do is as an L&D person, you buy in that content that's very expensive, but nobody is 
then you're like, okay, I have it there, but if nobody consumes the, the ROI or the, the, the impact of it is almost zero. And that brings you to the second thing is the ROI. I think that L&D, the L&D world, there's oftentimes a question, what is the return? What do I get out of it? The best that you can have is if there's already a leader in the company who is using it, paying privately and gets better at their jobs through it. That normally would make a very easy conversation for us because I would open a Zoom call and then I have a champion sitting in the in the room who is already a customer. And then we started adopting to what do companies need? I mean, as a company, you very likely have a people development strategy. You have company goals that could be going more into AI. It could be digitalization. It could be uh, diversity and inclusion. Companies have their goals um, and, and how they want to develop their people. And so... We started adapting the Blinkist product so that it fits organizations where we would let you define own uh, reading pathways, where we would let you filter out content that you don't want to have, where we would, one of the recent, most recent developments is where we would build coaching pathways, where we say, look, we put eight young leaders into a group of people, a cohort that all have the same challenges, maybe all first-time leaders. And then we design a pathway based on books that serves towards a certain topic, young leadership or AI or feedback excellence. And then we would line up book content in a certain um, series and then have all the eight people read the same books and blinks, then meet on a Friday, for example, book club style, discuss the content. We would send a coach that helps people apply the knowledge. So I think there's also like what we have learned is that for fitting learning into your life, there's the theoretical piece where you listen and, and read content, but then reading about giving feedback and actually giving feedback is two complete different things. So we fill that space in the middle where we let people read um, the books and blinks, and then we put them into a room and practice. There will be role plays, homework and stuff to, to help people apply the knowledge um, at work. And so yeah, that's my happy place as a founder. I like to, again, look at problems. What are problems now for companies, uh, for employees, for L&D departments, and how can we solve that? Mm. Just tell me a little bit about that kind of more blended approach and that coaching element. So that's a service that you offer around the content. Yeah. So we, over the past couple of years, have always uh, tried to come up with new uh, solutions to the original problem, which is fit more learning into your life, help people to get better through learning and the original one was to help them fit learning into their lives in the first place but now again i think the blinkist coaching offering is especially on helping people to apply knowledge again giving feedback in theory and then doing it when especially when it's negative feedback or critical feedback and when maybe the uh, there's quite some tension it could be between a direct report and a manager then actually applying a nonviolent communication framework, for example, in the heat of the moment is not easy. And so we help people to practice it. That's why we send a coach, but we organize it in a book club style. So it, it would go through a series of weeks where you read content. And then we believe that when you bring people together to discuss the content, not only a coach and an individual, but others with the same problem, that you develop that group in which you yeah, in which you can share experiences, practice, uh, and and get, go together on a learning journey. I think I would bet that in companies we will see uh, more and more cohort-based learning, and it's not something new at all because in like cohort-based is basically the concept of a school, right? Where you would normally go to school and there's your cohort, the other kids in in school, and you learn together. And I think learning, practicing, applying knowledge is 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 the focus of that 
product offering that we have. Lots of great things discussed. I suppose just to edge the conversation towards closing, you've mentioned a couple of things there that I think are positives within L&D at the moment. So coaching is, is obviously a bit of a hot topic for people. And then that community or cohort based learning as well. And then a challenge potentially still focused on on ROI. Is there anything else that you're seeing across L&D or within the industry more broadly that you think, yeah, that's that's really interesting or that this is really a challenge for us. We need to get better at doing this. Mm, yeah. Thank you for the question. Very interesting one. I mean, to most most parts, I don't know what will happen. I, I think the only given thing is change um, and rapid change. I'm thinking it, should, it will just escalate. It will go faster and faster. You will see more and more products uh, enter the market, more and more offerings, but also more demand on organizations on how to adapt. And if you want your people to adapt, the best way is to have them learn. So I, I generally think that the L&D space gets, will get more and more attention. Um, I think it already had gotten more and more attention over the past years. Also, like recently, I think with the current state of the world, um, I think companies watch out more often for better financial health of the organization itself. And so whenever buying a tool or an offering or a service, there will be or there already is more focus on return on invest. What are the costs? Are people using it? And what do I get out of it? If you look at the return on invest, I believe that in the end, nobody will really care about what is the product, what is the content, what are the features, but more about is that product or is that solution solving a problem for my organization? And so with more and more products and offerings entering the market and the world changing faster and faster, I think we'll see much more fit between, hey, the company really needs that product because it solves a problem, not just because it ticked the box or something like that. So yeah, I think that is roughly how I see it. But then yeah, interesting times. I believe that from a founder perspective, again, heavy place because when everything changes and uh, will be and everything goes you know upside down sometimes, then that's where there's a lot of opportunity to create uh, new solutions for problems that arise. Mm, really interesting mindset that in looking for opportunities in tricky situations. So I appreciate you sharing that, Toby, and thank you for everything that you've shared on this episode and for, for joining me today. Thank you as well. I mean, maybe as a closing, if everything just stays the same, then at some point we'll get quite boring, right? And I think then we will just get a space that is not dynamic anymore. That's not so fun. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you, Helen. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Toby. This podcast is powered by Thrive. We're a complete learning and skills platform creating modern learning solutions for modern businesses globally. Check us out.